Well, good morning, Salt Church. It is such a pleasure to be with you. My name is Brandon West. I'm one of the pastors here at Salt Church. Yeah, that's really only be, uh, been a week. Um, what a joy it is, though, to be with you guys and to share with you God's word. Tuesday, I got an email from the pastoral team saying, hey, welcome to being a pastor. We want to chat about you maybe giving uh, a message this summer. And I was like, great, let's talk about it on Wednesday. So Wednesday, we had our elder meeting. And I was like, hey, well, maybe like, you know, maybe in July. It was like two months of preparation. I'm like, that would be perfect. Two months of preparation. Friday, I get a phone call at 5 p.m., uh, Josiah has sinusitis, he's on antibiotics, he's not getting better. Fortunately, there could have been a better weekend for this to happen because my wife and my kiddos are out of town in Arkansas for a week doing some backpacking, uh, doing some hiking, and I'll be at a leadership conference next week. I don't know what goodbyes look like to you in your house, but at my house, typically I'm, I'm mourning the loss of my wife as I think about her going away on vacation without me. There's goodbyes, there's hugs, kisses, some I love yous, but typically I also get one of these. <laughs> Here's a little to-do list. <laughs> Honestly, I ask for these, okay? I like, I need one of these. When I'm in charge of taking care of the house, give Teddy, our dog, a scoop of food in the morning. <laughs> Check to make sure that the cats have water. Before you leave on Sunday for your trip, Scoop out the cat litter, wash the dishes, take out the kitchen trash, leave one door open, this door closed, freeze any blueberries that you haven't eaten. <laughs> As you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, that's kind of what this chapter is, is like in this book. It's chapters like these that remind me more than others in the New Testament that I'm actually just reading a letter. I'm, written a, I'm reading a divinely inspired letter. It's taken us eight months to teach through the book of 1 Corinthians, but it would have taken the church at Corinth maybe 15 minutes to read this letter. It's been a book full of correction. Don't be divided, he says early in the book. Stop destroying God's beautiful design for sexuality by exploiting it in the wrong ways. Don't come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. Stop suing one another. Don't misuse your spiritual gifts. They were given to you for other people. Stop telling people in your community that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. It's been doctrinal corrections and practical corrections. Corinth, honestly, was a hot mess. I can relate. But at each point of the book, Paul has been grounded in this one motivation, love. I think that you can see in Paul's opening of the book, you can see it in his tone, and I think you'll see it today in chapter 16 as well. And as he wraps the book, it feels like a leaving list. It feels like a Shelley-style to-do list for the church. But if you read through the lines of 1 Corinthians 16 today, I think that you're going to see this one theme, and this is what we're going to unpack today, a flourishing church community. I think that's the vision that he's casting for us today. So I'm going to go through today four aspects of a flourishing church community. Here's the first one. We're going to start in verse 1, abundant generosity. The first aspect of a flourishing church community, abundant generosity. Look at me in verse 1. We'll read through verse 4. Now about the collection of the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside, save it in keeping with how he's prospering that no collections will need to be made when I come. And when I arrive, I'll send the letters, I'll send with, 
with letters those that you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it's suitable for me to go as well, they'll travel with me. This collection of the saints here, uh, there was a famine. There was a famine in Jerusalem. Acts 12, Agabus actually predicted this, that there's going to be a famine throughout all of the Roman world. And this is Paul's collection for the hurting saints in this region. It's not the only time he's done this. He references, like, I talked about to you at the Church of Galatia where he reminded them, remember the poor. Josiah was the one that pointed this out to me, but, but check out the, the gospel irony here. What a spectacular transformation in the life of Paul. The same man who was once breathing out death threats against the church of Christ is now the same man who's support raising, starting a campaign to keep that church alive that he would have destroyed. But he says in verse two, do it on the first day, on the first day of the week, each week, consistently, regularly, without fail. I want you to set something aside. They didn't have auto withdrawal back then, okay? So I gotta do this, I gotta be disciplined. Each week, I'm gonna go and do this. But he says, the, the amount is so interesting. He says, set something aside. We don't believe in, in teaching like, it's the tithe here at Salt Church. I wish that the New Testament would just lay it out for me. Like, I, I wanna be a good Christian. I wanna do what God tells me to do. And so just tell me, is it 12, is it 15%, is it 20? He just says, set something aside. Set something aside. I saw a bumper sticker recently. <laughs> you like bumper stickers, clearly. <laughs> it said, it said if, if 10% is good enough for God, it should be good enough for the government. So, have you ever seen this, this bumper sticker before? Some of you is like, it's on my car. <laughs> that was my car. Honestly, as I was pulling out of a Mexican lunch, looking at that bumper sticker, I was thinking, what a travesty. My heart was, was broken. That, that's so not God's heart, like just thumb pressing you down, like give me my 10%. Now you've done your duty. What, what, if, what if that was God's heart towards us? I've done enough for Jensen. I've done enough for Dan. I'm out. Cheerful giver. That's what, the, that's what the New Testament talks about. Abundant, overflowing generosity. That's what he wanted from these people. Set something aside as you've determined in your heart. Brent Haverkamp, who was here a couple months ago, I got to hang out with him, and he introduced me to five levels of givers. Five levels of givers. You got the non-givers who are like, that's my money. You got the occasional givers who are like, I saw a homeless person. I had $2. I gave it to him. Regular givers who are like, I, I'm just going to consistently give a percentage of my income over and over and over. He said, then you've got generous givers who are like, I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm going to be generous. And I was like, doesn't it stop there? And he said, the fifth level is sacrificial giver. The person who gives till it hurts. But here's the interesting way that he, he, he opposes that. He says, set something aside. How much so? Look at verse 2. And save it in keeping with how he prospers, in keeping with how he prospers. I got to see uh, Craig Groeschel speak recently. He's like a gigachurch pastor, super cool guy. He told this story. He has a lot of college students in his church as well. And so you talk about giving and it's like, I don't know what I have. He said that the elders were collecting the, tithe, the, the, the offerings one weekend, the, what, what they had collected, and they were going through it. And there was a McDonald's sandwich inside of it wrapped up. And it had a note attached to it. 
and it said, gold and silver I have not, but everything I have I give unto the Lord. <laughs> this verb here about prospering, it's actually, it's actually passive voice. So not like he's prospering, but it's actually how he is being prospered. Give in accordance with how you're being prospered. Randy Alcorn an author on generosity says this, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. You're being prospered so that you can go and cause other people to prosper and flourish. Your business classes, they're not teaching you this. The leadership books that you're reading, they're not, they're not teaching you this. This is a different way of living. How are you prospering, church? Give, give, give according to that. If you don't learn now to give a, a dollar off of $10, I promise you, you won't give 100 off of 1,000. I was journaling this month and I wrote out this question, what lies am I believing right now? One of the lies I wrote down was that I can't be generous if I don't have money. I learned a new acronym recently, give your life away, L-I-F-E. Labor, influence, finances, expertise. Sometimes I've had more or less in one season of my life than another, but in all seasons, I've had something that I could give. My labor, my influence, my finances, and my expertise. Here's, here's our mission at Salt. Take your next step with Jesus. What's the next one for you? Move up that ladder of, of giving. Come to the Lord and say, all of my life, I have to give. My labor, my influences, finances, and expertise. Here's the cool thing. If that happens, verse 2, he says, I want this to happen. I want you to set something aside in keeping with how you're being prospered so that no collections will have to be made when I come. Imagine that. Imagine that. So we just got stockpiles of money because everybody's been so, we can just give it away. We're going to come up upon here soon in the history, the future history that we're writing here that the Lord is doing through Saul of purchasing a building. My wife and I have decided we started a new bank, uh, bank account. We just call it Salt Building Vision. And now giving off of our first fruits and giving abundantly and trying to give sacrificially on the first fruits of the second. But what about the end fruits as well? Maybe, maybe you could do this. Maybe this is your next step. You say, I'm going to do that too. I'm going to start a bank account and just when I can, on the, on the extra fruits where I see something comes in I didn't expect, I'm going to put it in there. Let's collect the funds now so we can do that work when God calls us to do it. This is so important in verse 3. He says that when I arrive, I'll send with letters those that you recommend to carry your gift. I care about it. I want to do that with you. And if it's suitable for me to go as well, they'll travel with me. Here's the second aspect of a flourishing community. Brave surrender. Brave surrender. Let's read verses 5, 6, and 7. He says, I'll come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I'll be traveling through Macedonia, and perhaps I'll remain with you or even spend the winter so that you would send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing since I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows, if the Lord allows. The musician in me was singing, have yourself a merry little Christmas. If the Lord allows. 
How would he have told, like, how would you have like, okay, this, I'm, I'm, I can be sure now the Lord has allowed this, the Lord has not allowed this. So was he just like standing, looking at the road to Corinth, and he's like, there's a whole cattle of donkeys in the way. I'm just going to wait. If the donkeys move, then God has allowed me to go to Corinth. It's, the, it's the, the, the person in us who wants to go lay out the fleece and say, well, if it's wet in the morning, Lord, then I'm supposed to go and do this. Paul's posture was always waiting on the Lord. I was always asking God, where do you want me to go? Acts 18, he says, I'll return to you, people, if God wills. Acts 16, it says that he, he says, I was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go somewhere. What'd that look like? What's that look like for us to go, God, where do you want me to go? And how am I going to figure that out? John MacArthur, maybe some of you guys have a John MacArthur study Bible, great study Bible. He wrote a little book called Found God's Will. And in the first chapter, he says, look, finding God's will is not some cosmic game of pin the tail on the donkey while you're walking around blindfolded going, I think this is God's will. And so the, the whole book, he lays out, like, here's some steps. You want to find God's will? It's like, get saved. You ain't going to know God's will unless you're following Jesus. Walk closely with him. Walk in purity. It's one of the, the rare times in the Bible where it says, this is God's will for you. Your sanctification, you're growing, you're putting away sexual impurity. That's one of God, that's God's will for your life. Treat other people fairly. Submit yourself to wise counsel. Get around godly leaders. Go and preach the gospel to unsaved people. That's part of God's will for your life. And if you're doing all those things, like, what's God's will for my life? I'm doing all those things. Then God's will for your life, he just says, go do whatever the heck you want. Go do whatever the heck you want. Yeah, I'm doing the things, Lord, that you've clearly called me to. I, I can just go do whatever the heck I want. And, 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 and I'm going to hold it with open hands so that if I'm wrong, you'll redirect me. But my brave surrender says, it's my, it's, you are living through me. It's your life anyways. The brave surrender says, God, do whatever you want. Lead me wherever you want to go. On a church plan. On a long-term mission. Deeper into the community that you live. Deeper into the dorm where I sleep and the people I get to spend time with and where you're going now over summer with your family and new communities that maybe you haven't hung out with in a long time and God's done something this semester, this year in your heart and you can go back and you can share that and you're just saying, God, send me. My hands are open wide. Brave surrender, Lord. Look at where Paul wants to go then. Verse eight. Paul says, but, but I'm gonna stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Because a wide door has been opened for effective ministry, and yet many oppose me. That, like, give me, like, do you want to go through door A, B, or C? Like, A has effective ministry, B has effective, C has effective ministry, but on the other side, it's a ton of opposition. That's not the one I'm choosing. Ephesus, where he wanted to stay, is actually regarded in the New Testament as perhaps the most Hostile of all places in the New Testament for the gospel. In fact, when Paul goes to write the second letter to the Corinthians, he says this in chapter one, talking about this ministry that he's been a part of. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the ministry and the affliction that we've been through. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired even of life itself. 
Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Easy wasn't a part of Paul's decision-making processes. Back to brave surrender. With our brave surrender, we say to the Lord, like, it doesn't have to be easy, Lord. You want to send me somewhere hard? I'm just following you. Verse 10, he talks about Timothy. Verse 10, he continues, if, Tim if Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while with you because he's doing the Lord's work, just as I am. So let no one look down on him. You can think about 1 Timothy 4.12, often quoted in a next generation church. Let no one despise you because of your youth, but set for the believers an example in speech, conduct, in love, faith, in purity. I, I don't want to, I, I can't touch on every verse here. And so this is a verse where I just want to commend the church. I want to commend you, Salt Church. When I sit across the members meeting and I get to hang out with other college students and hear about how you're stepping up to lead, well done, well done. And the community members here in this church, how you encourage that and, and draw that out of our college students here, well done. Let's continue for the Lord. Here's the third thing that we're gonna see. Unwavering love, the third aspect of flourishing community flourishing church, unwavering love. Look at verse 12. He says, now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers, but he was not at all willing to come now. However, he will come when he has an opportunity. I don't think this was like something like frustrated. I think it was just like, yo, I asked him like, you, you gonna come? I really want you to come. And he's like, no, I'm not coming. All right, respect, respect. <laughs> Do you think, man? Do you think? But in verse 13, look at this beautiful passage here. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Do everything in love. Man, how many times I've blown it on this particular passage here. When I'm supposed to be alert, I've been asleep. When I'm supposed to stand firm, I've crumbled in trials. When I'm supposed to be courageous, I've been paralyzed by fear. And when I'm supposed to be strong, I've given way to weakness. Be alert. I think the reason why I see no need, I think we see no need to be alert, is we don't sense a present threat. We're alert when we sense a present threat. Well, you know, like, it's when you wake up in the middle of the night, you hear like a sound, you're like, someone's breaking in. You know, it's like, we're like, we're praying the other day, and just something falls in the shower. It, like, we thought we were dying. Like, we thought we were, like, someone's coming in, like, I was just like, that's never falling down in the shower. It's going to fall down, like, just while we're praying, like, right now. I feel no need to be alert because I sense no present threat. And then something wakes you up. A friend came to me last year and he said, hey, dude, I think you need to grow in discernment. And I'm like, oh, dang, you're right. All of a sudden your eyes are open. I've got something to grow. First Peter says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. John Piper says this, you can't know what prayer is for until you understand that life is war. Life is war. He says, stand firm in the faith. I don't know about you, but for me, I, 
I'm much more fragile than I'd like to admit. A single text, a single email, a single phone call that's negative can cripple me. The key phrase here, this one, stand firm, not just, not just grit in, get low, let's get, you know, like a, like a, like a haka dance. And I'm, like, I'm like, let's go. Stand firm in the faith, in the faith. A few years ago, I was having arrhythmia in my heart. Like every 30 seconds, my heart would like beat an extra one and my breath would get sucked out of me. It was really unnerving. And so I go to the doctor, we go on Wikipedia, and certainly I have heart cancer, you know. <laughs> I called a pastoral friend of mine. I'm, you know, he asked me, how you doing? I said, well, I, I don't know, I'm nervous. My wife definitely thinks I'm dying, whatever's going on. He said, can I share with you this verse that's meant so much to me my whole life? Psalm 112. The righteous will never be moved. He'll be remembered forever. He's not afraid of bad news because his heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. I don't need to be given some self-help speech. You got this. I just need to be told God's with you. God's with you. Kevin Fisher, where you at, man? Back there in the corner. I texted my connection group last, yesterday, and I was like, hey, I got to preach tomorrow. Somebody pray. <laughs> and he just texts me back. He says, God's in control. He knew these circumstances would happen long before you did, and he's been preparing you for this moment. Anybody need to hear that? Like the season you're in right now, the season you're about to head into, what summer, what next year's going God's been preparing you. He's with you. Why can we stand firm? Because our whole heart is held firm by the Lord. I know you because I know me. There's been times where you're freaking lying on your bed and you're just, I don't even know if I'm going to get out of bed right now. I don't even know what I could just, and you're like, I don't even, how do I continue on? How do I go forward? Anxiety, depression, fear, whatever it is, and you're just, I don't even know where to start. Would you just tell yourself this right here, stand firm in the faith. God's with you. He says this next, be courageous. Be courageous. It's a really interesting, some of your translations say act like men. The, <laughs> the Greek's actually pretty interesting. It, it literally is like man as a verb. So it's like man. That's the word. Like to man. Go man. In the Old Testament, written in Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, translated to Greek in what's called the Septuagint, uh, they use this word a bunch. It's only used one time in the entire New Testament, 25 times in that text. Every time, it's four times, just in Joshua chapter 1. Be strong, be courageous. Be courageous. Crawford Luritz, in his book, The Call to Courage, he says this, the ability to endure deepens your resolve. If you act courageously, you'll get more courage. God is with you, but he'll only strengthen you when you raise your leg and you put it forward. Crawford says, he can't steer a parked car. The wind will only blow in your life, Crawford says, when you raise the sail. 
Why is it so hard to be courageous? Because of fear, doubt, criticism, failure, uncertainty. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, church? Be strong, be courageous, same word. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Our confidence, our ability to be courageous is actually rooted not in us. Like, well done, you're great, you're strong. Our ability to do those things and be those things is actually re- related to and rooted in who God is. You can be courageous because God's with you. Raise up your leg. Lift your sail. The wind is blowing. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. And he ends that section by saying, be strong. Be strong. I was in Guatemala a few weeks ago. I told you one of these stories a few weeks ago. I think the thing that impressed me the most wasn't like just seeing poverty, seeing what that looked like, seeing, seeing children in that. I saw strong, brave, fierce, courageous children trapped in extreme poverty. We got to have dinner on one of the final nights with two of the, two of the women who had been in the program who had graduated. They'd gone through all of Compassion's programs and they'd graduated. Now we were getting to hear their testimony. Strong, strong, brave, fierce young women sharing their, their testimony of what God had done. We're praying in this circle and I see Jessica, one of the two girls, and she's just standing there weeping. Tears are streaming down her face onto the floor. And I just felt like God laid Exodus 15 on my heart. And I opened it up. I read it to her in Spanish. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. He's become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. My father's God. I'll exalt him. And I turned to her and I just said, Si tú tienes fuerza, es del Señor. If you have strength, if you have strength, because I see it in her. I see it. I see the strength in her. If you have strength, it's from God. I wanted to let her know, you're strong, keep going. But I wanted to let her know, it's God. Go and tell people, church, to be strong. But tell them in the Ephesians 6 kind of way. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. But here's how this whole section ends on verse 14. Do everything in love. My reaction to the previous list, I'm like, let's go, be strong, be crazy, let's do this. I'm a hype guy, you know, it's like, like, let's go. And it's like, do everything in love. And I'm like, of course. <laughs> yeah. Duh. Everything that we're supposed to do is supposed to be done in love. Why? Because that's how you've been treated by God. You ever watch a movie and at the end of it, it's got this like huge plot twist. You know, something changes at the end. You're just like, whoa. And then you start reinterpreting the whole rest of the movie and you're like, I should have seen it there. He was the bad guy. I, when they said this, that was like the subtle hint. You're just like replaying the whole thing and you're like, I see it now through the whole thing. When you get to the end of your life, you're gonna look back and you're gonna say, now I see it. Now I see your love. I, at this point, I can look back over the whole narrative and I can see your love at every point of it. The Father sending Jesus. The Savior lifted up on a cross. The humiliation of the Messiah, the sealed tomb, the empty grave. You meeting the person who brought you to Jesus. Your new narrative arc. 
your restored purpose, your attendance here this morning. It's all a part of God's great design. He does everything in love to draw you, to open your eyes, to give you new life. See the great love of the Father all around you. And let this call to let everything be done in love persuade every decision and choice that we have to make. Shape our behavior in every moment. The way that you break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend because you realize that relationship isn't healthy. The way that you deal with a difficult team member that you work with or a boss who feels like he's always against you. The hard conversation that you need to have with your spouse. The way that you respond as a parent when your child yells at you, I hate you. Let everything you do be done in love. Pause in those moments. You feel the, 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 your, your heart's starting to race a little bit. You, your skin's getting a little hot. Do everything in love. Here's the fourth aspect of a flourishing church. Gospel community. Gospel community. Let's continue on in verse 15. Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus. They're the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about baptizing the whole household of Stephanus. He's one of the first Corinthian believers that Paul baptized himself personally. Last Sunday when we were at the members meeting, we threw up this picture on the screen and it had a picture of one person baptizing another and the person who was baptized baptizing another and the person who was baptized baptizing another. Last week I got to baptize my son, Parker. Me, to my son, to the world. What you're creating in your ministry is a gospel family tree. Have you ever done 23 and me? I get like emails like every other week. Somebody else got added to your family. I'm like, wow, this is growing rapidly. <laughs> when you sit there and you're looking back at the love of God over all of your life on that timeline, the other thing that you're gonna see is every life that you've touched. Every soul that God had you interact with. Every person who maybe you're planting seeds in, in their life and they'll grow into a tree under whose shade you'll never get to sit. And you'll know in that moment, you'll hear from the Father in that moment, well done, good and faithful servant. Who's the Lord calling you to engage with this summer? Who's the Lord calling you to disciple next semester, next year? Where are you being called to lean in for the gospel and be a part of this gospel family tree design that God has? Look at verse 16. He says, I urge you also to submit to such people. I don't know if Stephanus was an elder or a pastor. He's clearly some sort of leader in the church. Even this here, this call, what's, what's flourishing community look like? What's gospel community look like? People invested in other people for that gospel family tree. People devoted to serving, as we saw in verse 15. People who submit to spiritual leaders, whatever that looks like, whoever that is. I want to yoke myself under people who are going to help me grow. He says, submit to such people in verse 16, and to everyone who works and labors with them. I'm delighted to have Stephanus, Fortunatus, Achaicus present because these men have made up for your absence. One beautiful aspect of flourishing community, you're delighted to be with these people. Verse seven as well, he's like, I don't, I don't wanna spend just a little bit of time with you. 
I want to spend a lot of time with you. Why? Look at their character in verse 18. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Hard question for you. Are you a fountain or a drain to those around you? Are you a fountain that brings new life and new hope and new excitement? Or are you a drain that just sucks joy? I know for me, I've been both. <laughs> I'm regularly both. Let's do this, the hype guy. And then on Friday, somebody led this great like Bible study at FOS. And afterwards, I was like, great job. I was encouraging him. He's like, yeah, I was really excited to do it. And I was like, yeah, you did a great job. I was a little awkward at some points. And I just sucked out of him. He wasn't asking me for feedback. I just feel like I have a really important opinion to share. And I want to share it with somebody. Somebody was pointing out the word encourage to me. Encourage. Think about those. Encourage. To, when you do that, you're putting courage into other people. Are you a fountain or a drain? Are you the person who puts courage into other people and says, God's with you. Let's, I'm going to be alongside you. I want to step up. Let's do this for the kingdom. You put courage into other people. Or do you suck it out? Pilgrim's Progress. Great book. They go into this house, like this, like, fable that tells a gospel story. It's, it's a fake story. They walk into this, this house, and one of the rooms inside this house, they walk into, and there's this door inside the room, and it's on fire. And you see all these people, they're taking buckets of water, and they're throwing buckets of water onto the door. And you see it fizzle out, light back on fire. And they're like, oh, do it again. And they're, they're, they're throwing buckets, trying to put out the door that's on fire. Why isn't this working? And they walk around to the other side of the door and there's people sitting there with gasoline cans and they're pouring it on the back side of the door. Life, leadership, criticism, opposition, throwing water on the door. Are you the person who'll stand on the other side of your friends and you'll throw gasoline on them? Hold up their arms. Refresh their spirits. Who do you need to call and do that with? Maybe even on the drive home today. Who do you need to go and refresh in their ministry so they can continue on in the Lord? It's part of gospel community. It says here also, it's a command, recognize such people. I just want to say, Chris and Alan Hahn, Jensen Winter, Josiah and Claire Sabino. I, I'm just talking about me personally. I could name so many other... You throw gasoline on the backside of my door. Thank you. He continues on in verse 19. The churches of Asia, they send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, they send you greetings warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. That's where a lot of churches used to meet in this time frame. He says, all the brothers and sisters send you greetings. People they'd never met. Look at this gospel community that goes all over the world. People that they hadn't met. I love you. I want you to know I'm for you and with you. And then he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And all the college guys in the room are like, that's an option? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Verse 21. Let's just skip over it. <laughs> Verse 21. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. 
He, Paul would sometimes dictate his letters to somebody else, but here he's saying, even if I dictated part of this or all of it, I want you to know I'm signing off here. Here's my signature. And he says in verse 22, if anyone doesn't love the Lord, a curse be on him. Oh, come, Lord. You're like, that's kind of harsh after this whole loving letter. One commentator said this, this is not said in some way like a wish. I, I wish that these people who don't love the Lord, a curse be on them but as a prediction of what would certainly come upon them if they did not repent. The, the, the truth, a curse beyond me if I don't love the Lord. That's the truth, all of us. A curse, a sentence of death be upon all of us who don't love and follow the Lord. The absence of love for Jesus is unavoidably condemnation. And it's what I deserve, it's what we deserve. But look at verse 20, 23, how quickly he turns. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. There it is. The gospel always. Let him be accursed. The grace of God present with us right here. And he concludes in verse 24. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. A book full of correction. Full. Chapter 1 all the way through chapter 15. Full of correction. But also everywhere we look we see the love of Christ and the grace of Jesus. Paul's posture towards the struggling church, like all these problems, all these problems. Chapter one, he says, I thank God every single time I remember you. I'm like, how? They messed up, yo. I thank God every time I remember you. Our vision for a flourishing community here at Salt, broken people, walking in, being authentic, and finding new hope and healing. I could share with you a million stories about how this type of flourishing gospel community has impacted my family, helped me to be more generous, inspired me to be more generous, to, to produce this unwavering love, to lean into other people how it shaped me personally, my, my, my relationship with my wife, my parenting. But I'll just tell one. In December of this year, we will, we will remember the 10th year of the death of my wife's mother. It was for sure the darkest and most difficult season of her life. And by extension, me as well. When I, when I got the call like, hey, she's passed. Someone came over from our, our, our community they took my sons and they went and just took care of them. And they just said, I don't know how long you're going to be gone. We're here the whole time. When we came back weeks later, they'd cleaned the whole house. They'd stocked the whole fridge. It was Christmas time. They had a new little ornament hanging on our Christmas tree with all of our names on it. And my wife cried again. This time not over sorrow, but from a flourishing community. Abundant generosity, brave surrender, unwavering love, gospel community. That's what we want here. A flourishing gospel community, here's the cool thing though. If we do it well, it only reflects, it only reflects a, tr a thriving Trinitarian community. God is community. Why is community cool? Why is community powerful? You could go join the Kiwanis Club. I don't, that's not a, is that a thing anymore? 
Why is this community beautiful? Because it's gospel infused, because it's about Christ. This community reflects a thriving Trinitarian community. God is community. We get to look like him when we do that well. A flourishing community only reflects in our love, the love that we've been shown. First John 4, we love because he first loved us. That's what we want to do, church, to build a flourishing church community. Today, this Sunday, next week, over the summer, next year, moving forward. Abundant generosity, brave surrender, unwavering love, and gospel community. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we will build our lives upon your love. The community that we desire to have here is just a reflection of what you have, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The love that we desire to show to one another, to the world, to this community, is only the love that you've shown to us. How kind, how generous, how unwaveringly loving you have been to your people. Jesus, inspire us. Yeah, be strong, be courageous, stand firm. Do everything in love. Jesus, help us. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.